0: Now, would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 41. This is the passage that we have been looking at, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And if you would turn back then to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, and we'll read from verse 15, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, Matthew 18 verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven." where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So this morning we're continuing our studies in the the church, and we have been looking at those four pillars uh, of early church life that are listed for us in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. These were the four essential activities of the early church, the things that they prioritized in the life of the church, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. And in our studies so far, we have looked at the apostles' doctrine, this importance and significance of preaching, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. And this morning, we come to that fourth element, Uh, the prayers. Now, if you're using the ESV or the authorized version, you'll notice that that is translated in the plural, and in the ESV, they add a definite article, and it reads the prayers. If you're using the NIV, it says simply they devoted themselves to prayer. It is in the plural, and there is a definite article in the original. The definite article, I think, highlights the fact that they met together for special times of prayer, and the plural prayers emphasizes what he has in mind is the collective praying of the people of God. In other words, he's thinking of the prayer meeting. So the subject this morning is the prayer meeting. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, on his famous sermon on prayer, Uh, in which he called his congregation uh, to attend the prayer meeting, entitled that sermon, Only a Prayer Meeting. Why do Christians fail to grasp the significance and the importance of regular times set aside for prayer? Because it's only a prayer meeting. It's not important, it's incidental, it's non-consequential that at a theoretical level, we all acknowledge the importance of prayer, and yet in practice, the prayer meeting of most churches is the least attended meeting in the life of the church. Pastors regularly complain about the failure of the membership to take up their responsibility to come together and pray, and that's because they don't realize or understand the significance and the importance of the prayer meeting. And so I want you to notice three things this morning as regards the prayer meeting. It's our duty to attend the prayer meeting, the reasons why uh, we should attend a prayer meeting, and the hindrances that prevent us from attending the prayer meeting. So first of all, it's our duty to attend the prayer meeting. I would suggest to you this morning that it's a fundamental duty of every Christian to attend the prayer meeting a fundamental duty of every Christian in general and every church member in particular. Now, I base that assertion on three things. First of all, the Old Testament predicts that Christians will be distinguished by their praying. If you turn back in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah chapter 56. And uh, we'll read from verse 3 just to see the context. But Isaiah 56 and verse 3. Isaiah 56 in verse 3, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves, that's the Gentiles who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Now here we have a prophecy about the future gospel age, the messianic age, when eunuchs and, and, and Gentiles, foreigners can come into the house of God and worship God acceptably. Previously, they were disbarred, they were banned, but a day was coming when they could come into the house of the Lord and that house would be known as a house of prayer. Now, Christians are living stones that uh, are built together that become the house of of the living God, the house of God. And that house, in other words, Christian people will be known as people of prayer. This is why churches in the former Soviet Union called their buildings prayer houses, because this passage tells us that the people of the new covenant that are brought into the presence of God, will be distinguished by their corporate praying. Do you remember when uh, Ananias is instructed to go and speak to Saul, that arch per, uh, persecutor of the church? And understandably, he's a bit reluctant to go because of his reputation. And uh, the Lord says to him, Behold, he prays. He's a different man. He's a changed man. His heart has been conquered and subdued. He's now my disciple. And the evidence of that is that he prays. Well, Isaiah is telling us that not only prayer individually, but prayer corporately is the distinguishing mark of the people of God, of those who have come to believe in the Lord Jesus. So the Old Testament predicts that Christians will be distinguished by their meetings for corporate prayer. Secondly, the Lord Jesus uh, commands Christians to meet together for corporate prayer. In that passage that we read together in Matthew 18 and verse 19, Jesus says, Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, Anything they ask, agreement between those who ask, it will be done by my Father who is in heaven. Here we have some of the clearest instruction in the New Testament on the subject of corporate prayer. Now, from the context, we know that Jesus is speaking about the church He's speaking about the church and the whole matter of discipline. He says in verse uh, 17, If anyone uh, refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. He's not speaking of a handful of believers getting together casually and informally to pray. He's giving specific instructions to the church uh, he's not speaking of a worship service with singing and with preaching. He is speaking of a prayer meeting, and he is saying that when the church prays for anything in a united uh, way, uh, those prayers are heard by the Father, and Christ will be in the midst. Now, that promise had an immediate application to the matter in the hand, which was church discipline, but Jesus is clear that it covers everything, anything that the two or three agree on. The promise covers all of the needs of the church. So uh, we know then that uh, uh, it's our duty to attend the prayer meeting because the Old Testament predicts that those who embrace the new covenant will be distinguished by their meetings for corporate prayer, that the Lord Jesus commands and expects Christians to meet for public prayer. And then uh, thirdly, the early church sets us an example of Christians meeting together for corporate prayer. From the book of Acts, we know that the early Christians took this promise of the Lord Jesus seriously and regularly met for prayer. The first recorded prayer meeting is in Acts chapter 1. And if you just turn over to Acts chapter 1, you can uh, read of it there. Acts chapter 1, and um, let's read from verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem. That's after the ascension of the Lord Jesus. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount uh, called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. because in the synagogue there was no such thing as a prayer meeting. They met to listen to the law expounded and to recite set prayers. But here we find these early believers coming together to pray. Notice the women are present. That wouldn't have happened in the synagogue. The women had to sit at the back or had to sit behind a lattice screen and observe the, the men praying, but they couldn't pray themselves. But here are the women, and they're present, and because they're present, presumably they prayed, they met for prayer. That's a remarkable thing. That's a, a dramatic change. You find the same in Acts chapter 4, meeting together for prayer seven times. In the book of Acts, we find them meeting together for corporate prayer. In Acts chapter 12, we have this uh, incident. You remember when Peter is in prison and we're uh, told that the church, the church, notice that, Acts 12 and verse 5, that the church was in earnest prayer for him. That the church met and prayed for Peter who was in prison. And you remember there was this miraculous deliverance the angel came, the gates opened, and, and Peter was free. The angel disappeared. And what does he do? He goes to the house of John Mark, uh, to Mary, uh, uh, and Mary was the mother, and to John Mark. And, uh, and they're praying. Do you remember the little girl, uh, Rhoda, opened the, the door for him. But Spurgeon asked the question, how did he know where to go? How did he know where to go? Well, he thought to himself, "It's Wednesday night. It's prayer meeting night. They'll be they'll be praying." And he went down, and he found the church at prayer. That that praying corporately was a a, a feature and uh, of utmost importance to early church life. To early to the early Christians? Well, I hope that's convinced you that it's our duty to attend the prayer meeting. The Old Testament predicts that Christians will meet together for corporate prayer. The Lord Jesus himself commands Christians to meet together for corporate prayer, and the early church sets us an example of Christians meeting together for corporate prayer. The second thing I want you to notice is the reasons for attending the prayer meeting. Why should we attend the, the prayer meeting? Well, Back to Matthew 18, Jesus gives a special promise to corporate prayer, that when corporate prayer is offered, he promises to hear, or promises that the Father will hear. That it's not just a matter of arithmetic, that if uh, one prays, two praying, well, that prayer is uh, those prayers are stronger, three it 's even stronger, and if you have fifty people praying that 's stronger still, because Jesus talks about the two or three gathered together uh, in his name there 's something more important and something more significant going on than that. I remember somebody came to me in, in balaamani and said, "Look pastor, you know it 's always hard to get out on a Wednesday night. why not?" Between eight and nine, set a time for prayer, and we'll all pray at home and engage in prayer and at that stage, fifty or sixty people will be praying at the same time, and that'll be effective. but he was missing the issue he was missing the point uh, look at Matthew eighteen and verse nineteen this is this is very very important Matthew eighteen and verse uh, 19. Matthew 18 and verse uh, 19. Jesus says, and I say to you, if two of you, I notice that word, agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now that that word agree is the Greek word from which we get our English word, symphonize. It means to harmonize. It means to sound together. It describes instruments playing harmoniously or singers singing their parts together. That's what that word means. It's used in Matthew 20 in the parable of the vineyard when the owner agrees with the laborers. uh, They bartered, they came to an agreement audibly. And when Jesus uses it here in Matthew 18, he is using it of audible prayers. That those prayers are audible because you can't agree on silent prayers. Okay? People say they come to the prayer meeting and pray silently, but how can anybody agree on silent prayers? They're used of audible prayers and they are used of collective prayers. And Jesus says, when you pray audibly, audibly and collectively, and you sort of collectively uh, agree, it will be done by my Father in heaven. That there is a special promise attached to collective praying. That's not attached to individual praying. I, I hope you get that. That's the importance of the Amen. I have a little bugbear, and it's uh, you know we have, we're starting to follow America, and we're starting to refer and say to "Amen," it's not "Amen," it's "Amen." The Greek word is "Alpha," and it's pronounced "Ah." It's "Amen." I suppose it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, but m- matters to me. It's "Amen," <laughs> so "Amen," because I don't like everything coming out of America. But that—that's beside the point. But uh, it's "Amen." amen. And when you add your uh, amen, what does amen mean? It means truly, truly, uh, truly, truly I say unto you, verily, verily, I say unto you, literally, amen, amen, truth, truth. And when you add your amen audibly, you're coming together with that prayer and you're saying, yes, this is true, true, true. We agree. Now, we have probably fallen out of the habit of shouting out, Amen, during the services. It would be nice to hear an odd one every now and then, but uh, it can be a bit distracting. But all it means is, we agree. And it's so important, uh, maybe not literally saying, Amen, but that, that consensus, that agreement is so important when we we pray together, so um, I go to conference every year, uh, and nobody really says "Amen," but they all hum the call about. They talk about the Lester hum, hum. So when somebody's praying, they go, "Hmm, hmm." Well, that's what it means. We agree. We agree. They, you take that prayer and you make that prayer. So why pray collectively? Why pray? together, because Jesus attaches special promises to the collective praying of the people of God. So the reasons for attending the prayer meeting, corporate prayer has special promises attached to it. Secondly, to demonstrate our complete dependence upon God. Attendance at the prayer meeting is an emphatic declaration and demonstration of our complete dependence upon God. Jesus said in John fifteen, Without me you can do nothing. Without me you can do nothing. So sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we forget that God's work and church are sorry, that church work is God's work. That, um, that spiritual work must be advanced by the Spirit. Unless the Lord builds the house, Psalm 127 and verse 1, its builders labor in vain. Not by might nor by power, Zachariah says, but by my word, says the Lord. If we are truly dependent upon God and conscious of our dependence upon God, we will pray. L. Martin says, prayer is a spreading of our utter helplessness before God. Corporate prayer brings the whole church together in a sense of of complete dependence upon God. He must work and he must move. So reasons for attending the prayer meeting. Corporate prayer has special promises attached to it. Corporate prayer demonstrates complete dependence upon God. And then thirdly, corporate prayer focuses upon the needs of others. When we pray together, a number of things are brought to our attention. The needs of the world, the needs of our church, the needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's always a danger when you pray alone that you become self-absorbed and all you're concerned about are your needs, your wants, and your desires. But in corporate prayer, your eyes are lifted to the harvest field. Your eyes are lifted to the body of Christ. So that you see the needs of others, that your eyes are lifted to the persecuted church. Communal prayer meetings protect us in a great degree from self absorbed and selfish praying. And then there's another reason why we should pray together, and that's to provide schooling in prayer. You see, when you come together and you hear older saints pray, and how they address God, the reverence that they have, the uh, ability that they have to quote Scripture and and use that Scripture to plead the promises of God. They see you see their priorities. That actually teaches those of us that are younger in the faith on how we should pray. And then the young people come and and they pray and they have a, a vitality and a freshness about them that sort of challenges the the cliched rep- repetition that maybe the older believers have fallen into. And so, by that interaction, we are able to learn from each other uh, when we pray. The reasons for attending the prayer meeting, corporate prayer has special promises attached to it. Corporate prayer Uh, expresses our dependence upon God. Corporate prayer focuses upon the needs of others and corporate prayer provides schooling in prayer. Lastly, I want you to notice some hindrances that prevent us from attending the prayer meeting. What keeps us from the prayer meeting? Why do we as a church not use this weapon more frequently and more consistently and indeed more powerfully? Well, first of all, there's the opposition of the devil, and that makes sense, doesn't it? If power is unleashed in a corporate prayer meeting in a way that it is isn't unleashed in private supplication, the great enemy of our souls will endeavour by by all possible means to stop us attending the prayer meeting. In Ephesians six, Paul, in that great chapter on the Christian Uh, Christians warfare says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the authorities of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our conflict is with the devil and his organized host. That is the realm of our conflict. Oh sure, people see us out here preaching in the synagogues, debating in the marketplace. They see us being stoned by our enemies, maligned in the press. But what they see with their eyes is not the real realm of the conflict. The real realm of the conflict is in that invisible world. where where the Christian does battle with the organized powers of darkness. And so that battle is to be fought in a spiritual way by putting on the armor of God, verse 16, and praying in the Spirit on all occasions, verse 18. It's after putting on the armor of God that we venture forth to do battle with the devil through prayers. And so, if Satan can keep you from the prayer meeting, he has already gained a victory, not ultimately, but temporarily. And so, by distracting us, by sidelining us, any method he can use, he will keep us from prayer. Tr- Satan trembles when he knee- sees the weakest saint upon his knees, so he will endeavor to keep us off our knees. He doesn't care how many meetings we have to organize things, uh, to discuss things, to set things in motion. But when we pray, you can be sure that he will be at work. That's the first thing, the opposition of the devil. The second thing is the aversion of the flesh. There's something that remains in the heart of every professing child of God that we might call an indisposition to prayer. Galatians 5 and verse 17, For the sinful nature or the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other that you do not do what you want. Do you see that? The sinful nature is there. And the flesh, and it opposes everything Uh, of of the Spirit, the activities, the inclinations, the fruit that is produced by the Spirit. So in the child of God, there is this tension. He has the Spirit, and by that Spirit of adoption, He cries, Abba, Father. There is this inclination to pray. But there is also the remains of this old nature that when He does pray, fights tooth and nail to keep Him from prayer. How many of you have ever had a terrible sense of spiritual dryness and tiredness when you've sat down to watch a football match on TV? How many of you ladies have ever experienced great opposition of the flesh when you've went out to the January seals? But when you try to pray, you feel dry, dead, and listless what has happened? When you were praying, everything that remained in you of the old nature sprang into action to oppose that activity. When its life is threatened, the flesh springs into action. Prayer is how you deal with the sinful nature. But when you pray, that very nature will oppose the praying. When the body of believers come together to pray together, to confess their sin to each other, to bring the corporate needs of the church together, there is this indisposition of the flesh. Some of us do battle with this every Tuesday. Monday night, you come home, you're very tired, been a hard day at work, but you still muster the strength to go out and cut the grass. Wednesday night, you come home, and you're very tired, middle of the week, but well, you still manage to go to Tesco's to get the shopping. Friday night, the end of the week, you're exhausted and you, you sit back and, uh, uh, and you say, well, we're having so-and-so over tonight. We're looking forward to that. And you muster the strength. But Tuesday night, prayer meeting night, you're just that little bit extra tired and exhausted. And why? It's the aversion of the flesh. And if you don't recognize it for what it is, you're never going to overcome it. We have in our anatomy this clock that ticks. And every Tuesday night, we're just extra tired. That's the truth of the matter. What is it? It's the flesh lusting against the Spirit, and it's the Spirit lusting against the flesh. And so when you come to a prayer meeting, you make it out and you say to yourself, I can't be bothered praying tonight. And um, what is it? It's the flesh rising up in you. And those long pauses stifle and kill the prayer meeting. Because so many believers have given in to that cry of the flesh. No one, Isaiah 64 and verse seven, listen to these words: No one calls on your name or stirs himself up to lay hold of you. No one stirs himself up to lay hold of you. The opposition of the devil, the aversion of the flesh, and then the carnality of our own hearts. 1 John 3:21. Dear friends if our hearts do not condemn us we have this confidence before god and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his command uh, commandments and do what pleases him do you see that he's saying if our if our hearts if our consciences are clear we have confidence before god in prayer but if your consciences are soiled and and, and sullied and Uh, contaminated, you have no such confidence before God. Prayer, you see, is where we have our most intimate and direct dealings with God. And uh, if our consciences are soiled, then there is this reluctance to put ourselves into the presence of God and into the place of prayer. So a defiled conscience hinders our prayers. Those who are not living in obedience to God's command. Those who are shoddy in terms of uh, their relationship to God. Those who indulge themselves with lustful thoughts and through lustful images or allow anger and bitterness to rise up into their hearts when they come to pray. They can not pray because of that guilty conscience. So what do they do? Rather than come and be forced to reckon with their sin and confess their sin, they stay away. Psalm 24, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And I would suggest to you, this is why the church historically and the church generally, and maybe this church specifically, doesn't pray with as much frequency and fervency as we ought Because the demands of this kind of praying exposes the carnality of our own hearts. It gets very close to the mark when Peter says, Husbands, remember your wives. Give honor to them as the weaker vessel. So he says that your prayers will not be hindered. That even how I treat my wife and a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday hinders my prayers. So why do we not pray as often as we should the opposition of the devil, the aversion of the flesh, or the carnality of our own hearts? Our duty in attending the prayer meeting, the reasons for attending the prayer meeting, and the hindrances to attending the prayer meeting. Now, I didn't intend to send you on a guilt trip this morning. (laughs) I don't intend to do that. I realize that you have busy lives and you have other uh, pressures. And some of you have domestic responsibilities. Some of you are students up in Belfast. Uh, and it's just very difficult for you to come. So, so the prayer meeting is going for that reason. It's going to be a smaller, smaller meeting. But I just want to ask you, is it, is it a priority? Is it something we value? Is it something... That is important to us. Amen.